Chapter Four of Ravensdene Court by J. S. Fletcher. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Tobacco Box. My first feeling of almost stupefied horror at seeing a man whom I had met only the day before in the full tide of life and vigour lying there in that lonely place literally weltering in his own blood and obviously the victim of a foul murder speedily changed to one of angry curiosity who had wrought this crime crime it undoubtedly was the man's attitude the trickle of blood from his slightly parted lips across the stubble of his chin the crimson stain on the sand at his side the whole attitude of his helpless figure showed me that he had been attacked from the rear and probably stricken down by a deadly knife thrust through the shoulders this was murder black murder and my thoughts flew to what clague the landlord had said warningly the previous afternoon about the foolishness of showing so much gold had salter quick disregarded that warning flashed his money about in some other public-house been followed to this out-of-the-way spot and run through the heart for the sake of his fistful of sovereigns it looked like it but then that thought fled and another took its place the recollection of the blood-stained linen rag bandage or handkerchief which that queer man mr cassalet had pushed into hiding in the yew hedge had that had cassalet himself anything to do with this crime the instinctive desire to get an answer to this last question made me suddenly stoop down and lay my fingers upon the dead man's open palm i was conscious as i did so of the extraordinary appealing helplessness of his hands instead of being clenched in a death agony as i should have expected they were stretched wide they looked nerveless limp effortless but when my fingers came to the nearest one the right hand i found that it was stiff rigid stone-cold i knew then that salter quick had been dead for several hours had probably been lying there murdered all through the darkness of the night there were no signs of any struggle at this point the sands were unusually firm and for the most part all round and about the body they remained unbroken yet there were footprints very faint indeed yet traceable and i saw at once that they did not extend beyond this spot there were two distinct marks one there of boots with nails in the heels these were certainly made by the dead man the other indicated a smaller very light-soled boot perhaps a slipper a yard or so behind the body these marks were mingled that had evidently been done when the murderer stole close up to his victim preparatory to dealing the fatal thrust carefully slowly i traced these footsteps they were plainly traceable faint though they were to the edge of the low cliff there a gentle slope of some twelve or fifteen feet in height i traced them up its incline but from the very edge of the cliff the land was covered by a thick wire-like turf you could have run a heavy gun over it without leaving any impression yet it was clear that two men had come across it to that point had then descended the cliff to the sand walked a few yards along the beach and then one had murdered the other standing there staring around me i was suddenly startled by the explosion of a gun close at hand 
and then from a coppice some thirty yards away a man emerged whom i took from his general appearance to be a gamekeeper unconscious of my presence he walked forward in my direction picked up a bird which his shot had brought down and was thrusting it into a bag that hung at his hip when i called to him he looked round sharply caught sight of me and came slowly in my direction wondering i could see who i was i made towards him he was a middle-aged big-framed man dark of skin and hair sharp-eyed are you mr raven's gamekeeper i asked as i got within speaking distance just so i am staying with mr raven and i've just made a terrible discovery there is a man lying behind the cliff there dead dead sir he exclaimed what washed up by the tide likely no i said he's been murdered stabbed to death he let out a short sibilant breath looking at me with rapidly dilating eyes they ran me all over as if he wondered whether i were romancing come this way i continued leading him to the edge of the cliff and mind how you walk on the sand there are footmarks there and i don't want them interfered with till the police have examined them there i continued as we reached the edge of the turf and came in view of the beach you see he gave another exclamation of surprise then carefully followed me to the dead man's side where he stood wonderingly at the stains on the sand he must have been dead for some hours i whispered he's stone-cold and rigid now this is murder you live about here no doubt did you see or hear anything of this man in the neighbourhood last night or in the afternoon of evening i sir he exclaimed no sir nothing i met him yesterday afternoon on the headlands between this and almouth i remarked i was with him for a while at the mariner's joy he pulled out a big handful of gold there to pay for his lunch the landlord warned him against showing so much money now before we do more i'd like to know if he's been murdered for the sake of robbery you're doubtless quicker of hand than i am just slip your hand into that right-hand pocket of his trousers and see if you feel money there he took my meaning on the instant and bending down did what i suggested a smothered exclamation came from him money he said his pocket's full of money bring it out i commanded he withdrew his hand opened it the palm was full of gold the light of the morning sun flashed on those coins as if in mockery we both looked at them and then at each other with a sudden mutual intelligence then it wasn't robbery i exclaimed so he thrust back the gold and pulling a thick chain of steel which lay across quick's waistcoat drew out a fine watch gold again sir he said and a good un that's never been bought for less than thirty pound no it's not robbery no i agreed and that makes it all the more mysterious what's your name tarva sir at your service he answered as he rose from the dead man's side been on this estate a many years sir well tarva i said the only thing to be done is that i must go back to the house and tell mr raven what's happened and send for the police do you stay here and if anybody comes along be very careful to keep them off those footmarks not likely that there'll be anybody sir he remarked 
as lonely a bit of coast this as there is hereabouts what beats me he added is what was he and the man as did it doing here there's naught to come here for and it must have happened in the night judging by the looks of him the whole thing's a profound mystery i answered we shall hear a lot more of it i left him standing by the dead man and went hurriedly away towards ravensdean court glancing at my watch as i passed through the belt of pine i saw that it was already getting on to nine o'clock and breakfast time but this news of mine would have to be told there was no time for waiting or for ceremony i must get mr raven aside at once and we must send for the nearest police officer and just then fifty yards in front of me i saw mr cazalette vanishing round the corner of the long yew hedge at the end nearest to the house so he had evidently been back to the place whereat he had hidden the stained linen whatever it was coming up to that place a moment later and making sure that i was not observed i looked in amongst the twigs and foliage the thing was gone this deepened the growing mystery more than ever i began against my will to piece things together mr cazalette returning from the beach hides a blood-stained rag i going to the beach find a murdered man coming back i ascertained that mr cazalette has already removed what he had previously hidden what connection was there if any at all between mr cazalette's actions and my discovery to say the least of it the whole thing was queer strange and even suspicious then i caught sight of mr cazalette again he was on the terrace in front of the house with mr raven they were strolling up and down before the open window of the morning-room chatting and i was thankful that miss raven was not with them and that i saw no sign of her near presence i determined to tell my gruesome news straight out mr raven i felt sure was not the man to be startled by tidings of sudden death and i wanted of set purpose to see how his companion would take the announcement so as i walked up the steps of the terrace i loudly called my host's name he turned saw from my expression that something of moment had happened and hurried toward me cazalette trotting in his rear i gave a warning look in the direction of the house and its open windows i don't want to alarm miss raven i said in a low voice which i purposely kept as matter-of-fact as possible something has happened you know the man i was telling you of last night salter quick i found his dead body half an hour ago on your beach he has been murdered stabbed at the heart your gamekeeper tarver is with him had you not better send for the police i carefully watched both men as i broke the news its effect upon them was different in both cases mr raven started a little exclaimed a little he was more wonderstruck than horrified but mr cazalette's mask-like countenance remained immobile only a glance of sudden almost pleased interest showed itself in his black shrewd eyes ay he exclaimed so you found your man dead and murdered middlebrook well now that's the very end i was thinking the fellow would come to not that i fancied it would be so soon or so close at hand on one's own doorstep so to speak interesting very interesting 
I was too much taken aback by his callousness to make any observation on these sentiments. Instead, I looked at Mr. Raven. He was evidently too much surprised just then to pay any attention to his elder guest. He motioned me to follow him. "'Come with me to the telephone,' he said. "'Dear, dear, what a very sad thing. Of course the poor fellow has been murdered for his money. You said he'd a lot of gold on him.' "'It's not been for robbery,' I answered. "'His money and his watch are untouched. There's more in it than that.' He stared at me as if failing to comprehend. "'Some mystery?' he suggested. "'A very deep and lurid one, I think,' said I. "'Get the police out as quickly as possible, and bid them bring a doctor.' "'They'll bring their own police surgeon,' he remarked. "'But we have a medical man closer at hand. I'll ring him up, too. Yet what can they do?' "'Nothing for him,' I replied. "'But they may be able to tell us at what hour the thing took place, and that's important. When we left the telephone, we went to the morning room to get a mouthful of food before going down to the beach. Miss Raven was there, so was Cazalette. I saw at once that he had told her the news. She was sitting behind her tea and coffee things, staring at him. He, on his part, a cup of tea in one hand, a dry biscuit in the other, was marching up and down the room, sipping and munching, and holding forth in didactic fashion on crime and detection. Miss Raven gave me a glance as I slipped into a place at her side. "'You found this poor man?' she whispered. "'How dreadful for you!' "'For him, too, and far more so,' I said. "'I didn't want you to know until later. Mr. Cazalette oughtn't to have told you.' She arched her eyebrows in the direction of the odd, still-orating figure. Oh, she murmured, he's no reverence for anything, life or death. I believe he's positively enjoying this. He's been talking like that ever since he came in and told me of it. Mr. Raven and I made a very hurried breakfast, and prepared to join Tarver. The news of the murder had spread through the household. We found two or three of the men-servants ready to accompany us. And Mr. Cassellet was ready too, and, I thought, more eager than any of the rest. Indeed, when we set out from the house, he led the way across the gardens and pleasure-grounds, along the yew hedge, at which he never so much as gave a glance, and through the belt of pine wood. At its further extremity he glanced at Mr. Raven. "'From what Middlebrook says, this man must be lying in Kernwick Cove,' he said. "'Now, there's a footpath across the headlands, and the field above from Long Houghton village to that spot. Quick must have followed it last night. But how came he to meet his murderer? Or did his murderer follow him? And what was Quick doing down there? Was he directed here, or led here?' Mr. Raven seemed to think these questions impossible of immediate answer. His one anxiety at that moment appeared to be to set the machinery of justice in motion. He was manifestly relieved when, as we came to the open country behind the pines and firs, where a narrow lane ran down to the sea, we heard the rattle of a light dog-cart, and turned to see the inspector of police and a couple of his men, who had evidently hurried off at once on receiving the telephone message. With them, seated by the inspector on the front seat of the trap, was a professional-looking man 
who proved to be the police surgeon. We all trooped down to the beach, where Tarver was keeping his unpleasant vigil. He had been taking a look round the immediate scene of the murder, he said, during my absence, thinking that he might find something in the way of a clue. But he had found nothing. There were no signs of any struggle anywhere near. It seemed clear that the two men had crossed the land, descended the low cliffs, and that one had fallen on the other as soon as the sands were reached. The footmarks indicated as much. I pointed them out to the police, who examined them carefully, and agreed with me that one set was undoubtedly made by the boots of the dead man, while the other was caused by the pressure of some light-footed, lightly-shoed person. And there being nothing else to be seen or done at that place, Salter Quick was lifted onto an improvised stretcher which the servants had brought down from the court, and carried by the way we had come to an outhouse in the gardens, where the police surgeon proceeded to make a more careful examination of his body. He was presently joined in this by the medical man of whom Mr. Raven had spoken, a Dr. Lorimore, who came hurrying up in his motor-car, and at once took a hand in his fellow practitioner's investigations. But there was little to investigate, just as I had thought from the first. Quick had been murdered by a knife-thrust from behind, dealt with evident knowledge of the right place to strike, said the two doctors, for his heart had been transfixed, and death must have been instantaneous. Mr. Raven shrank away from these gruesome details, but Mr. Cazalet showed the keenest interest in them, and would not be kept from the doctor's elbows. He was pertinacious in questioning them. "'And what sort of a weapon was it, you suppose, that the assassin used?' he asked. "'That'll be an important thing to know, I'm thinking.' "'It must have been a seaman's knife,' said the police surgeon, "'one of those with a long, sharp blade.' "'Or,' said Dr. Lorimore, "'a stiletto, such as foreigners carry.' "'Aye,' remarked Mr. Cazalet, "'or with an operating knife, such as you medicos use. "'Any one of those fearsome things would serve, no doubt. "'But we'll be doing more good, Middlebrook, "'just to know what the police are finding in the man's pockets.' "'The police inspector had got all Quick's belongings in a little heap. "'They were considerable.' over thirty pounds in gold and silver, twenty pounds in notes and an old pocket-book, his watch, certainly a valuable one, a pipe, a silver match-box, a tobacco-box of some metal, quaintly chased and ornamented, various other small matters, but, with one exception, no papers or letters. The one exception was a slightly torn, dirty envelope addressed in an ill-formed handwriting to Mr. Salter Quick, care of Mr. Noah Quick, the Admiral Parker, Holloway Street, Devonport. There was no letter inside, nor was there another scrap of writing anywhere about the dead man's pockets. The police allowed Mr. Cazalet to inspect these things according to his fancy. It was very clear to me by that time that the old gentleman had some taste for detective work, and I watched him with curiosity while he carefully examined Quick's money, his watch, of which he took particular notice, even going so far as to jot down its number and the name of its maker on his shirt-cuff, and the rest of his belongings. 
but nothing seemed to excite his interest very deeply until he began to finger the tobacco-box and then indeed his eyes suddenly coruscated and he turned to me almost excitedly middlebrook he whispered edging me away from the others do you look here my lad do you see the inside of the lid of this box there's been something a design a plan something of that sort anyway scratched into it with the point of a nail or a knife look at the lines and see there's marks and there's figures now i'd like to know what all that signifies what are you going to do with all these things he asked turning suddenly on the inspector take them away they'll all be carefully sealed up and locked till the inquest sir replied the inspector no doubt the dead man's relatives will claim them then mr cazalet laid down the tobacco-box left the place and hurried away in the direction of the house within a few minutes he came hurrying back carrying a camera he went up to the inspector with an almost wheedling air you'll just indulge an old man's fancy he said placatingly there's some queer marking inside the lid of that bit of a box that the poor man kept his tobacco in i'd like to take a photograph of them man you don't know that an examination of them mightn't be useful End of chapter four